Our first period class will be presented by Brother Mike Cood, and his remarks are entitled, Looking for the Kingdom, the First Century. And along with his remarks, he's asked that we read Acts chapter 2. So let's turn that up. Acts chapter 2. And we'll read verses 41 through 47. They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the ecclesia daily such as should be saved. Let's now give our attention to our brother Mike. Good morning, everyone. Before I crank up the computer here, I want to just say a few remarks. Uh, Bring you fraternal greetings. That is, Bobby and Jude and I bring fraternal greetings from... San Antonio and South Texas, really good to be here, and i uh, also like to say I appreciate very much the efforts of the brethren here uh, organizing this gathering for 53 years, as I understand, and uh, in particular the sisters who do such a great job of cooking, as I enjoy eating. Sister Sandra takes very good care of me when I come. What we'd like to do this morning is to look at the doctrinal aspects of our theme verse from James 5 and 8. And in that regard, today we'll look at the situation in the first century, uh, the believers and their circumstance, and tomorrow, Lord willing, we will look at our day, our circumstance, as we also await the kingdom as they did. In today's uh, activities, we know that the ecclesial age began there in the first century and that it was the ushering in of the Gentile age and the ushering out of of the Jewish dispensation. And because he was or is the author of our theme for this gathering, we're going to look at James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the impact that he had on that ecclesia there in Jerusalem, and as well the dedication of the other uh, apostles and disciples, Peter, Stephen, uh, in particular, we'll look at their work, and the challenges that these brethren had as they believed they were at the threshold of the kingdom in their day. 2,000 years ago, just like we do, and what they had to contend with. And the sources of strength that they had as they suffered through their trials and 
their challenges and how they were able to give the type of courageous testimony that they did. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll look at the challenges of our day as we truly are at the threshold of the kingdom and how we need to draw on the strength of the doctrine that is so much of who we are and how without that inspired word, which is our comforter in this latter day, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in the first century day, that we draw from it all that we need to sustain us, and that adding to that prayer, our direct communication with God through our Savior Jesus Christ, we are able to endure. So Lord willing, we'll do that in the morning. Going back to the uh, reading of Acts 2, which Brother Lou read a moment ago. This phrase, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, I believe is very significant. Because it was that doctrine that was the very firm foundation of what they did, what they believed, and who they were. And it was pure. Now, we talk about today about how we need to be pure in our doctrine and make sure we're teaching. And it's very important that we do. But they had it. They had Jesus for three and a half years of his ministry. James had him there for his life as they were raised together as children. But all the teachings of all the things of the words that could not be written in books because they were so numerous were they benefactors of during that three and a half years. And more especially in that 40 days from the time that he died on the, on the stake and the ascending to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, did he perfect and complete their understanding. <clears throat> so they had this to draw upon along with the comforter, which was the power of the Holy Spirit, which they received there in those gifts on the day of Pentecost. And they were well equipped then to do this courageous work that they did. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> we see the words of James as he wrote to his Jewish brethren. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. They believe that just like we do, that he was coming back, and that in their own lifetime they would see him. And it was because, same reason we don't know the day or the hour, they did not know the day or the hour, that they would, they would keep their hope. And they did even till the day that they died. <clears throat> so James penned these words <clears throat> in the last chapter of his epistle 
as a reinforcement. They were constantly having to reinforce one another because of the trials that they were under. <clears throat> he, he and his fellow apostles and disciples believed Christ would return in their lifetime. And that's what one of the things that gave them the strength that they had to endure. And they didn't see him return because he hasn't. And they lie in their memorial graves, as many other believers do as well. And as Paul recorded in the chapter of the faithful in Hebrews 11, these all, these all from Adam forward, if you will, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, and probably elder to him in the family, had a, had a unique relationship with the Master. Having seen him uh, grow and learn, obviously a very intelligent young man. We know his abilities at age 12. So he was able to really know the basic character of his brother uh, from the earliest years. Even though, unfortunately, early on, James was very much steeped in Judaism, like everyone else. And this was a new way that Jesus was teaching. Matthew 13:55, we read, Is not this carpenter's son, is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? This is a pretty good-sized family. They had normal family stresses as any other. Father was a carpenter. That was the trade of the family. And they learned and lived there in Galilee. James, along with his other brothers and sisters, were not believers initially. And there's evidence of that. And with time, they did become believers. Matthew 12:46. While yet he talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. And when his friends better translated kinfolk, heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Thinking that uh, maybe he had a mental problem, some of the things that he was doing. I want to read from, uh, this is out of the Christadelphian Expositor series by the Logos. Many of you, I'm sure, have in your library. By Brother Mansfield. I want to read from, some of his comments. I have a couple of readings this morning. This is on page 7 in the introduction. He says, Despite Roman Catholic teaching that Jesus was the only child of Mary, there is no doubt that she had children other than the Lord. These were called his kinsmen and included both brothers and sisters. Matthew 13, 55-56 and Mark 6, 3. They were associated with the Lord at the beginning of his ministry. But as it gathered momentum, they doubted and finally became ashamed of him. They didn't understand what his work was. 
His dedicated ministry, his burning zeal, were misunderstood by them. They allowed themselves to be swayed by the attitude of the Jewish leaders who who contemptuously ridiculed him as being under the influence of Beelzebub, Matthew 12, 24, and therefore of being insane, John 10 and 20. Moved by this talk, they fell prey to the common attitude of the flesh mentioned by the Lord. Quote, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Believing in the Judaism of the Pharisees, they must have listened with impatience to much of the Lord's criticism of their teaching and way of life. He was challenging their very lifestyle, their customs. Unfortunately, the uh, customization of the law of Moses. And so it was unsettling. It was an embarrassment to them. They didn't understand at that time what he was about. But as time went on, James did learn. He understood. He saw the death of his half-brother. He was allowed then to be a witness to the glory of this brother that he knew well. 1 Corinthians 15 and 7. After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. He came in order first, he Christ after his resurrection, to um, after the two men on the road to Emmaus, the apostles, and then to many of his disciples, and of those later, James was a witness to this risen Lord. And we believe James was very studious, much like his elder brother, and learned early on the ways of the law. And we see evidence of that in his writings, in his epistle. And so he was, he was well equipped to deal with the Judaizers and the other uh, factions which were opposing this new way which Christ had taught and that he had learned. <clears throat> so he, like Paul, was very prepared to deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all of these, all this hierarchy of the Jewish society in, in which they were, were raised and which contended with him so much. <clears throat> so, not only did James uh, become converted, but also the rest of the family. And, and they became strong followers as well. And they were instrumental in that Jerusalem Ecclesia, which was established uh, there principally through the work of Peter. Acts one fourteen, we read, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So by the time of his uh, ascension, these 40 days after the crucifixion, um, they were converted, they were convinced, and they were prepared to do the work, just as James and Peter and Stephen and the others were. So by the time James wrote the epistle of James, where our theme is taken from, uh, he he was fully convinced, fully indoctrinated, and fully focused on the work of the ministry, of the preaching of the gospel, and of the Lord Jesus Christ.
And he had a special love, if you will, seemingly for his brethren, uh, his Jewish brethren, which were scattered. And if you remember from uh, Acts 8 and 1, uh, after the persecution of Stephen, there was much persecution upon the ecclesia, and brethren were scattered far and wide. And uh, so he writes in James 1, first verse, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which were scattered abroad, greeting. So there was a, was a great dispersion of the faithful who took not only themselves and their possessions, but they took their beliefs with them and were factors in the conversion of the Gentiles through the work of principally of Paul, the apostle. <clears throat> in the Jerusalem Ecclesia, Peter took uh, the lead role. Peter, uh, as we note from the second chapter of Acts, the third chapter, and the fourth chapter, spoke very boldly and very eloquently about Christ and in, in very specific terms, if you'll read in those chapters, accused, uh, and rightfully so, the Jewish hierarchy of the death of the Son of God. And <clears throat> he became, from the day of Pentecost on, a very uh, big part of the uh, growth of that Jerusalem Ecclesia literally grew by thousands, uh, as we know from the second chapter. And Peter uh, was totally committed. He had his trials uh, around the time of the crucifixion, and, and uh, he denied Christ, the three times that Christ predicted at that time and, and was humbled by it and came back um, totally committed to the work of preaching the gospel. <clears throat> so he, he was instrumental in this ecclesia, but, but uh, James was probably number two. doesn't really say that in the scriptures, but we see from evidence of the things that uh, he was involved with and the testimony that he gave that he was a, a very big player in that ecclesia as well. So, in this uh, understanding of, of the need of bringing the new things in and the old things out came this idea of the Gentiles and their role now in the hope of salvation. And so Paul, very eloquently in Romans 11, likens this uh, olive tree, uh, native olive and wild olive, to the Jews and the Gentiles, respectively, and uh, uh, makes a very good uh, comparison between the goodness that God gave his people Israel and then uh, the fact that he allowed... Uh, once again, the Gentiles to be uh, grafted in. Romans 11:17. If some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, that is, you Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. The Jews did not believe. That was their problem. They could not see. They were steeped in this tradition and could not see what the law really was there to teach them. 
the schoolmaster that it was to lead them to Christ. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. So, be careful, Gentiles, that you don't do the same thing that the Jews did. And were given this opportunity because of their unbelief. So, um, Peter became uh, acutely aware of the importance of the Gentiles now in this plan of God and from that experience in Acts 10, uh, he went forward and preached boldly the position of the Gentiles in this hope as well. And James, the same. So we have James uh, recounting and uh, emphasizing Peter's words. These who were contending with the Gentile converts. Acts 15 13 through 17, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. One of the things that uh, was paramount in the teaching of the apostles um, and the disciples, uh, principally Peter and and James and Stephen, um, was this connection with this plan with Abraham. You know, the Jews couldn't, couldn't really get past Moses. You know, it was all about Moses and the law of Moses and, and, and how everything was, was centered around that. That was their basis. So they had to be taken back to Abraham, who essentially was a Gentile. He was a Gentile before he was a Hebrew. <clears throat> and that this is really God's plan that all men should have an opportunity of salvation, not just a chosen people that God had selected to be his witness. So he had to get them back to Abraham. And so that's that's what James is talking about, and that's what Peter was talking about. And this is a very basic principle of our doctrine. And we today do this have to do the same thing. We have to emphasize the promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the covenant with David. These are all reiterated by these these brethren in the first century, and they are absolutely essential to our beliefs today. My grandfather, Harry Glendening, who was, I guess, you might say a lay preacher, he, as a Christadelphian, went around to areas where there was a few brethren and, and taught and, and, uh, and baptized many uh, in his years. And uh, I was very young, so I didn't, wasn't really knowledgeable of, of all that he did, but I do remember from when he was at home and he spoke to us that he spoke on what I would call the basics, the promises, uh, the things which are, are just as um, profoundly Christadelphian as anything that we have. And, uh, and you know, the gospel um, and its connection with these promises was, was really mostly what people needed. They didn't need... Uh, complicated things that uh, sometimes we get into, but 
uh, the essentials necessary to bring life is what he taught. And uh, and I think there's there's a good lesson in in these older brethren and how they how they taught the truth and and how they were able to to bring people to the truth and that along with the prophetic word. Um, uh, many people are believers, and we we are uh, the results of that. Thankfully. <clears throat> so James wrote his epistle, as we read from James one one, to the Jews that were scattered abroad, his brethren who were who were converts as well as he was from Judaism into this new hope. Um, through the teaching of the gospel and the connection of all that they knew with Jesus Christ, the Savior. <clears throat> and he encouraged them to be patient. I preach, appreciate very much Brother Brad's thoughts last night about patience. I think that is extremely important that that, that patience is not passive, but it's active. And, and I think it's a point well taken that, that we are patient because we're working. We're doing things for the truth and the things that we need to keep our hope alive. Just skipped over a reference. Excuse me a second. So James, in the first chapter, verses uh, 3 and 4, we read, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And in chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. The strength of James was as well the strength of James as well as his first century brethren was the solid doctrine, the things which we have referred to that they taught concerning the gospel and the promises. <clears throat> Those things professed by Jesus when he was personally with them and later the fundamental beliefs of the apostles referred to as <clears throat> there in Acts 2, the apostles' doctrine. This doctrine was the connection between the law and the prophets, which they all knew very well from their earliest years, and Christ, who was the Messiah that they longed to see. Um, With that information, with that connection between the suffering Messiah, not just the King Messiah, but the suffering Messiah and the Law and the Prophets, then their, their understanding was complete. So, as we, as was read in your hearing by Brother Lou, and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine, this basic teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Of course, this was with the assistance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And all that believed were together, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and with singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the ecclesia daily as such that should be saved. 
And just before this, they had a few thousand converts there uh, based on the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. So why were they continuing to go to the temple in this new way that was introduced? Unlike the Gentile converts of the first century who came out of paganism, who were not steeped in these traditions of the law, if you will, the Jewish converts had to be converted from the traditionalized law of Moses to the law of life in Christ Jesus. So James and Peter and the other apostles and other disciples as well had to use the traditional worship venues such as the temple to teach the new way. And this is a point well taken, I think, by Brother Mansfield and again in this book, James to Jude. So I'd like to read that. It's on page 12. It says, Perhaps today we do not fully appreciate the particular problem that faced Jewish believers in those times. With a Gentile, when a Gentile embraced Christ, he had to separate himself completely from his previous pagan religious associations and establish an independent local ecclesia. There was complete severance of two forms of worship. Paul expresses in his comments to the believers in Thessalonica, "Ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God." First Thessalonians 1:9. This expressed a complete reversal of worship a separation from paganism, and a seeking after the true God. It was not quite the same with Jewish believers as the Acts of the Apostles clearly shows. There was no change in God whom they worshipped, nor in the future for which they hoped. The great change was in the realization that the Messiah had come and that baptism in Him provided for the forgiveness of sins and a newness of life in divine worship. This was a great difference, it is true, but inasmuch as the temple and its worship was God-founded, was God's plan or, or God's idea, was God-founded, believing Jews saw no reason to disassociate themselves therefrom. <clears throat> Accordingly, they, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, which is from Acts 2, which we read, giving a greater service in that regard than ever before, <clears throat> while... Breaking bread, a term expressive of partaking of the memorials, from house to house, Acts 2.46. Excuse me a second. He goes on to say, In Ephesus, Israel, Brother Thomas observes, The apostles and Christians, Acts 21.20, of the Hebrew nation in Palestine continued a ceremonial observance of the Mosaic festivals. Acts 21, 24-26. The annual atonement for sin accepted. And of the seventh day, until the destruction of the commonwealth of the Romans, on the same principle that the New Testament Christians among the nations now observe Sunday and the laws, not as a means of justification before God, but as a mere national, mere national customs for the regulation of society. So what they did within the limits of the law of life in Christ Jesus is they were able to to use these um, ceremonial things associated with the law to preach the better way, to show how 
God's plan in Christ was in those things and how this temple represented another temple of people. And, and, and all of the, you can see all the parallels that they were able to draw from, from, from the old worship to the new worship. And they were able to make that connection and therefore use some of the same practices, if you will, as long as they didn't conflict with a new law of the life in Christ Jesus. It was a very unique transition that they were going through. Eventually, the temple had to go away. They had to break that uh, dependence on that edifice because it, it, it had so much of the old traditionalized law steeped in that, in that ceremony. And then that happened in A.D. 70. That was the, <clears throat> the Olivet Prophecy fulfilled, or part of the Olivet Prophecy fulfilled, and it was destroyed by the Romans. And this was definitely in the plan of God. <clears throat> and this did several things. This finally broke that, that connection with the old and allowed for the new to have its place. So it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a difficult time in some respects for these, these teachers, these apostles, believers, because they had to, to transition the people, these Jews from one to the other. At the same time, preaching a whole new thing, a, God, a new God, a new situation to the Gentiles. So this was their this was their dual dual challenge. <clears throat> and part of the things that came in these challenges was this hierarchy system that was in place in the Jewish society. That they you know they would go into these synagogues to first teach the truth, and then they would go out to the Gentiles secondarily. But in that synagogue, that hierarchy was there. That upper seat had to be taken, and and so there had to be, you know, James had to deal with the tempering of that uh, within, within these uh, Jewish communities. So in James 2, 5, we read, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? In chapter 4, verse 5, Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusts us to envy? And verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherewith he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So the truth was available to man, woman, free, bondservant. I mean, it was, it was a whole new situation. The hierarchy was gone. We're all equal in that respect in our hope of our life in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so, as we look at, at, at what these brethren did there in the first century in order to, to make these conversions of the Jews and, and teach this truth to the Gentiles, the, the strength that they had, the, the, the things that they drew upon, you know, they, were, they were so um, uh, perfected now in their understanding, having Christ um, uh, you know, brought that fully to their, to their knowledge and with the assistance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were bold. I mean, they were, they were much bolder than I think we could be in this day and time. Um, uh, looking at death in the face and proclaiming what they believed. You know, Christ had, <clears throat> had done a very good job in, in finishing the leadership role that he had uh, with them uh, when, when they... Uh, finally saw that there was 
a suffering Messiah aspect to all of these things that were taught in the in the Old Testament. So in Luke 24 and 44 we read, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. All these things pointed forward to me. It was about me. It was teaching you know, that, that <clears throat> yes, the Messiah would come, but yes, the Messiah would suffer. I mean, you can't read Isaiah without understanding that. <clears throat> In verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. They came to a full understanding, seemingly, of all of those things which connected it together. The law and the prophets and Christ were connected. And this is the, the true a uh, plan of salvation of God. <clears throat> so, if we look at, at the testimony, we're going to look at a couple of these in a moment. If we look at the things that Peter and, and James and Stephen said, we see, you know, a couple of, several elements, but a couple of basic elements. And, and one is the hope that comes from the promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, these covenants that God made with these individuals, which is spoken of so well in Hebrews 11 <clears throat> by Paul, that <clears throat> that you know this is the connection, and we get there by our connection with Christ, <clears throat> and and that the gospel, this good news, this special news of the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, is how is the vehicle by which God would make it all happen. So these are themes that run throughout the things that they expounded and boldly uh, spoke <clears throat> to the people and to the hierarchy of, of Israel. Acts 7 and 2, <clears throat> we read about Stephen. And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Sharon. And verse 5, And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when he had yet no child. The same promise, unfulfilled, yet to be fulfilled, could be fulfilled in their lifetime. That is in the first century. Because they believed that Christ was going to return. <clears throat> and Peter in Acts fifteen seven when and when they were and when there had been much disputing Peter rose up and said unto them men and brethren ye know how that a good while while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe he was convic- he was convinced after the events of these unclean animals in Acts ten that the Gentiles did have a place. Well, this was a totally new concept for these for these people. To bring these, these dogs, these Gentiles, into the hope which they had. <clears throat> and James as well. After And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon, Peter, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to this agree the words of the prophets 
as it is written. The prophets talked about this. And Peter has told you, and I'm telling you, they also have a hope. And Peter again in Acts 2 and 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This man whom they crucified, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, fulfilled the words of the Scriptures and of the prophets. And again, the words of Stephen in proclaiming the position of the Son of God. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God just before he died. <coughs> what a, what a, uh, a difficult thing for these non-believing Jews to hear that this man who was continued to be, even after his death, continued to be a thorn in their flesh, this man Jesus, now sitting on the right hand of God himself. Therefore, having been witnesses to the glory of the Father manifested in his Son, these brethren of the first century were committed, committed to the vision of the kingdom. They needed to be patient and to be able to deal with the challenges of the times in which they lived. They had to be totally committed. There was, there was too much uh, stress, too much persecution. As leaders of the ecclesia, Peter and James were in the forefront of the problems of the believers. And whether they, you know, you might say were cast into these roles, uh, they were there and they took upon themselves all the work that was needed in that first century ecclesial setting <clears throat> so when all this was going on we have Paul the apostle who um, was there when Stephen was was stoned and thereafter went about putting believers in prison and was persecuting as he later testified persecuting the true ecclesia um, became totally involved and totally committed to this preaching of the, of the, of the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, had to also contend with these, these factions, these Judaizers who were um, continuing to struggle and to persecute the, the true believers. <clears throat> so in Acts 21:17 we read, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They, they knew of, of these efforts of Paul. Um, and the work that he and Silas and other has, others had done. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. So we see James here, again, having a prominent role in this uh, Jerusalem ecclesia. In verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there were which believe." And they are all zealous of the law. 
and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought to not circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Don't, you know, break the customs. You know, the circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore. It's circumcision of the heart. These are, these are just uh, tough, tough principles to, for these Jews to grasp. The challenge of the Gentiles was the was this total conversion from paganism, as we mentioned a moment ago. <clears throat> Unlike the Jews, uh, they needed to really first know who God was. The Jews, you know, kind of had that principle um, within bounds, I guess you'd say. But they had they had not. It was sticks and stones and and idols uh, for them. <clears throat> so, Paul, always remembering the difficulty of, of this concept change for these pagan uh, Gentile believers who were, who were very profound believers, uh, obviously, from all the things that Paul wrote about. Uh, as in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3, again, he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Many of these um, Gentile converts were much stronger than the Jewish converts. And they had they didn't have the basic information which the Jews had that were raised in and understood. And it's a it's a very um, it's it's much like this concept of the pearl of great price. When you have it, you never had it before, you know how great it is and how valuable it is. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 1 and 9. For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You turned from idols. This idol worship is the only thing you knew. You turned from it. And verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which he delivered us from the wrath to come. So this concept of the kingdom, the threshold of the kingdom, was was before them just like it was before the the Jewish uh, converts and the apostles and and the brethren. They 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 needed it just like we needed. They needed Christ to return to set up that kingdom and to fulfill all the things which God had promised <clears throat> in their lifetime. And He didn't, as we know, just as we need it in our lifetime. So the leaders of this first century ecclesia saw their lives end in the service of their master. Um, as we know in the scriptures, uh, there in Acts tell us he died, Stephen died, after his very eloquent speech. He was um, stoned to death. James died, at least according to Josephus, at the hand of Ananias, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin. He had just proclaimed his belief in the Lord Jesus and supposedly, again, uh, from Josephus, had said the words, uh, Father, forgive them what they do, for they know not what they do, which is the same words or the words that Christ spoke before he died. So, <clears throat> these these men were, these were, they were totally dedicated to their... Um, their purpose, they gave up their lives for the sake of teaching the truth. 
Um, they had such a powerful base of information in the doctrine which they believed and, and that hope before them that Christ would return in their lifetime. You know, they were, they were energized, you know, tremendously to, to do the work. They, they had to be, or they couldn't have withstood the trials that they went through, in particular the things that we read of Paul in his life and what he suffered. <clears throat> but these all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, convinced of their hope, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth and would have no possession of it until Christ does return and establishes again the kingdom of God. Thank you.